0: Buddy, you're listening to Midnight Radio. Before we begin here, I got a couple of things to go over. We do have our guest, Sergeant Batterass, on the line. We're going to be talking to him in a minute. But before we begin, I need to let you know if you want to listen to our show now, go to anchor.fm slash Midnight Rad. That is anchor.fm slash Midnight Rad. And you can watch this video podcast. You'll notice on there it has a lock that says subscribe. That is for paid subscriptions. Our show isn't paid, just certain episodes are. If you want to get things first, if you're a paid subscriber, you get it first. Other than then, you got to wait a week. Or there are special things that we have for paid subscribers only. Again, the show is free, but there are certain things. If you want them sooner, if you're a paid subscriber, you're going to get that. Somebody asked me the other day, they're like, Hey, uh, can we still watch this on TV like we used to be? used to do on youtube why hell yes you can if you have any phone you get spotify on that look up midnight radio subscribe to it for free and you can hit the button that casts it right to your tv so actually not only is it better it is a lot easier to get that on your television now that's midnight radio you can find it at anchor.fm midnight rad you can find that don't forget our website www.midnightrad.io. Again, that is www.midnightrad.io. Well, we're about to talk to our guest here on the line. That is Sergeant Batterass, But before we do that, I have a story for you. It's a story about a boy and his nuts. This happened to me when I was in the military, and I was Training with the Marines in Camp Lejeune, Carolina. I believe that's South Carolina, but I always get it confused. Doesn't matter. I was there. It was right after a hurricane. This was in our our um, field medic training, and uh, we were there. And there was two two. We called them humps that we had to do. Those are giant hikes. I think there was one that was five, and I think there was one that was twelve. That's when we had to have all of our equipment we had to hike in full boots and utes. Well, this particular one was the night before the 12. And there I was right after hurricane. So it was wet. All the, the uh, courses we had to go through were about six, seven feet underwater. So we had to swim through something that looked like Prell shampoo to go underneath the razor wire. But this was the night before that. We were putting up our shelters after our five mile hike out there. And back then they were called half shelters. This was, we still had Vietnam era equipment at the time. This was back in 1999. So I noticed everybody had a buddy. And we had something called a half shelter. And I'm, I'll hold up a piece of paper here. It's like a piece of paper, it's a half a piece of paper. So the idea was you and your buddy would be together and you'd get this half piece of shelter and your friend would put his other half piece on and then it would make like a teepee, you know, like a regular tent and they would button together. They called them a half shelter cause you each had one. And I was the lone son of a bitch who didn't have a buddy. So I only had a half of a shelter and I thought, Oh, fuck. but I come from a long line of military people. Now, I remember my dad told me a story about this time. Now he wasn't in the military. He was in boy scouts but he he said one time he knew it was going to rain so him and his buddy picked high ground and they put their tent up there and i thought well i only have a half of a damn shelter i think i would at least better get me some high ground so there was this big tree that was there at the beginning of this place we were all putting our tents at so i put mine right there on the top of that so i was i was on like a little bit of a hill and i put my half shelter and i put the open side facing the trees thought, son of a b-. I saw the rain clouds come in. I was really tired. I fell asleep right away. Everybody else, they were down there in the bottom of that with their tents. I woke up. Ah! And my man pebbles were on fire. It felt like someone took a sack of marbles and beat me in the nuts. It was shocking. I'm like, what the hell? I looked up, and I saw a steady stream of water that was coming from the middle of my half shelter and it was steadily streaming right on my nards and i don't know how long had been doing that but i was ready to confess whatever they wanted me to confess about it hurt so damn bad i was so damn tired and it was raining really hard i just took my helmet i was using for a pillow and put it over my nuts and went to sleep when i woke up my underwear were soaked my nuts felt like someone kicked them but i looked down there to where everybody else had their double-sided shelters there and those son of a were all flooded i saw things i saw gear floating all around everything was dry but my nuts we went on that 12 mile trek that day and i truly learned the definition of swamp ass i'll tell you right now we're going to talk to badass today and i'm if i had shinesty underdrawals i'm telling you my nuts would have been fine Right now, you'll see on your screen, you have the Screaming Eagle from Shinesty Underdraws. right now. This is something, this is a pair of underwear that a batter-ass would be proud to wear. We got Father's Day coming up. I don't know if it's this Sunday or next Sunday, but women, for those men in your life, you can give them full protection. You never know when they're going camping and might have water steadily streaming on their nuts or just a... Practical sweaty day. I'm telling you, if I had this right here, my nuts would have been held away from my body. My package would have been amplified, and I wouldn't have had swamp ass. These would be good for him. They have the Screaming Eagle and the, what do they call it? The Screaming Eagle with the cooling, the U.S. Eagle ball hammock pouch, underwear with fly. But for me on that day, when I was training with the Marines, I could have went with this nice pair right here. It's camel, camouflage. Right here, and I my package could have been right there, and I never would have had swamp ass. Of course, there's my favorite threat-level midnight, but there's a new one, ladies and gentlemen, that any man would be proud, especially on Father's Day, to have. It is called the Lady Para Ice Cooling Ball Hammock. It's called It's About This Long. You can see that right there. Nothing better for your man. Keep him protected, cool and dry, and not having to worry about swamp ass. That is www.shinesty.com. They want to put their draws on y'alls. Shinesty. All right, on the line, we have Sergeant Batterass. His rank and his name has been hided to protect the innocent or hid. How are you doing today, sir? Good. Now, when I was talking about that unfortunate incident I had back in 1990, 1998, no, nineteen ninety nine. Did you ever experience anything like that on a hump? Oh yes, sir. I, I questioned. Not everyone. Every one of them. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's it's something right there. Oh, there is one thing I want to mention real quick. If you guys want to call in, leave a voicemail message about this program you're listening to now. Leave a message, and by God, you leave a message. It's recorded. We'll play it. Three two five two six one zero eight nine two, or you go to Anchor.fm/slash Midnight Rad. There is a message button. You can send that to us. So I, I, I asked myself. That's a true story, by the way. It was gonna, I was gonna tell them Memorial Day, but I decided to save it. Would and Steve really help me with that? And I, I absolutely think it would. Yeah. Swamp ass. Oh yeah. Because it actually picks up your NARS, and separates it and pushes it forward. I guess it has a package-enhancing effect, if anything else. But it won't be rubbing on your thighs. So that is Shinesty.com. So, Sergeant Batterass, when you were growing up, did you know you were destined to be a (laughs) batterass?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to be in the military since I was in kindergarten.
0: Did you really? Specifically the Army?
1: Yeah. I asked for, uh, I recently had found a news article when I was in kindergarten. We wrote Santa letters and I asked for a machine gun and hand grenades.
0: Oh, wow. You couldn't get away with that today, I'm telling you. No, sir. What year was, uh... Oh, my... What decade? I don't know. We'll go by decade. It been a, It
1: would have been in the 80s. All right. Yeah, 87, I mean- maybe 88.
0: You got to realize at the time that's that's a perfect time. Man, when I grew up, one of the biggest cartoons there was was GI Joe. And in that cartoon, I mean, I couldn't I think I remember watching it at 5 years old. I couldn't get home fast enough to watch it and it would come on and basically it was um it was propaganda, it was recruiting propaganda for the kids to make them grow up want to be a badass, you know. Yes sir what it was and all it was kind of in our dna and i you know i had these thoughts and then i check them out and find out it was for real they got money from the u.s government uh, recruiting at the time to to do gi joe and also top gun got a lot of money from the department of the navy and uh, they got s- some money most of it is the access they got to the carriers and their the planes especially to this day there's a new one coming out i've been wanting to watch but yeah that made a lot of people join the navy so there you were. You knew you were destined to be a badass, and then you took it a step farther and became a bad-er-ass. So, what what year was it that you joined?
1: Uh, I joined September six, two thousand one.
0: September six. So that was after nine eleven, right? Five days before, brother. Five days before September. Okay. Sometimes I'm thinking was nine eleven. 2000 or 2001, but yeah, that's right. It was 2001. So again, that makes you even a batter ass because you didn't have a reason, just, just because you wanted to. So, did you want to join the army? Why did you choose the army?
1: Uh, I chose the army because I wanted to be a ranger.
0: Did that happen for you? Yeah.
1: All right. I got to go to uh, I got to go to Rip.
0: For those that are listening and don't know what that is, could you explain to them what a ranger does?
1: Well, I mean, I never went to a ranger battalion, but uh, rangers are the behind the the lines. They usually the first ones in. Uh, And I ended up going to a unit where I was reconnaissance, where we would slip behind the enemy lines and, and gather intel and relay it back to a bigger unit so that they could carry out a mission.
0: Now, I'm not sure the difference between the Army and the Marines in this point, but I know with the Marines they had something called the, the recon Marines, and that's what they did.
1: Yeah, it's the same thing. It's just the, the Army unit, they had scouts and recon.
0: So, so with the, the Marines, what they did is they had the recon and – They had something called the forward for the firing battalion, and what they would do is they would send them in there, and they're the ones that would give the coordinates of targets.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we were there to observe, and uh, we had snipers on our crew. Uh, So if we had to engage a target behind enemy lines, take out a specific target. But for the most part, we were sent back to use our rifles to observe and report.
0: So you were basically dealing with the snipers and the infantry. Yeah. Now, can you yes, talk it. about what your, what your specific job was with the Rangers?
1: Um, uh, I mean, I've moved up through the whole thing. Uh, I started out as the, the bottom man as a radio guy. Okay. I spent time as a sniper, spent time as a sniper, uh, Spent time as the assistant team leader when our assistant team lead got hurt, and Iraq, and then at some point, our team lead had to go to some kind of school. I don't recall what it was, but I was running a, a a whole team. So I did all four positions in our in our in our little crew. I did team lead, assistant team lead, sniper, and reconnaissance, or the radio guy
0: how did you start in boot camp or actually after boot camp when you actually started doing the training? uh, If I'm not mistaken, you also have to, you get to where you're going into the battle zone by jumping out of planes, right?
1: Yeah. I went to airborne school right out of basic training.
0: Now, is that one of the main things that all Rangers do?
1: Uh, Yeah, you have to, I mean, I don't, I think there are some that are not airborne qualified, but it's, it's highly, it's highly recommended that you go to everyone's school.
0: Now, did you go into Iraq and Afghanistan?
1: No, I went to Iraq only. Okay. I got injured in Iraq, and that ended my career.
0: So what would you like to tell me about going into Iraq? I know when I went, I went over... We gathered there in San Diego, or actually it was Camp Pendleton, and we were just at the uh, Marine barracks, and they had these big chartered buses that came and took us. And uh, I remember they were playing, it was weird, they were playing a Gordon Lightfoot song, and it carried us to this airport. And they flew us over there with stewardesses and everything, and it was a long flight. And from there we were in Kuwait for a while, and from Kuwait... I actually... One of the weirdest parts is when we got to the airport, God knows where it was, and they had these these charter buses, and these were Kuwaiti charter buses that drove us there, which was, you know, they were civilian buses is what I'm trying to say. And they looked like shuttle buses that you would, uh, you know, get in uh, Las Vegas if you stopped there, except with guys speaking Arabic, and we're like, we don't know if these guys are the enemy or – not they kind of made us nervous, like and then we went from there, we went to Kuwait, and then we got all of our equipment, you know our trucks and stuff. so how does that work with the Rangers? For me, it was a bit too choreographed, you know
1: well we uh I don't remember what day of the week it was. I'm wanting to say it was like a like a Monday. they put us on lockdown, no drinking, no partying over the weekend uh. We got on a chartered bus and went from Vicenza, Italy, where our base was at, to Venice, to Camp Darby, where they had an Air Force base. And we spent the night there, geared up, got on a C-17 that night, and we flew into Iraq and jumped into Iraq at 9 o'clock that night.
0: Yours was a lot more military than mine. Yeah, we jumped into
1: northern Iraq.
0: So you're actually stationed in Italy at the time?
1: I was stationed in Italy at the time, yeah.
0: Okay, cool. How long were you were you guys there training before you jumped in?
1: Uh, I got there in May of 2002. I think towards the end of May of 2002 and then I did a bunch of training. We did mountain survival and all kinds of you know shooting uh sniper training. Uh like it's kind of like a seer school, a mini seer school. Mm-hmm. And I went to Kosovo, did a couple of peacekeeping missions over there. And then by March, the end of March, March 26, we jumped in. So not quite a year. So I about I had, I had about 10 months of like peacekeeping missions and different types of schools.
0: It's about the same thing I had to, about 10 to prepare us. Yeah. 10 months of training, you know, and then the last three months there was Intensified training, field training, and then even while we were there, after we got in, we still were still training until until the day we actually went over the 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 border, the berm as they called it. But you, but you, what you did is batter ass. You just complete they just completely threw you into the threw you into it. Uh, what month was it that you guys went that when you actually jumped in there? March, March, the end of March. That's when.
1: Like five, I think it was like five days after shock and awe.
0: Okay. So I was, I was actually in shock and awe. That's where I was. We're the ones that blew up the buildings. We more, we, we didn't mortar them. We shot howitzers at them. That's what we did. We pounded them for days, five days, right? I think it was five days of shock and awe. Okay. Where, can you tell me where exactly you landed?
1: Uh, it was a little town. Uh. Bashir. Bashir. I don't even know if you can locate it on a map. But, yeah, it was just a little community. Do you... From there, we went to Erbil.
0: Okay. Do you remember El Nazaria?
1: It sounds familiar.
0: Okay. Bashir sounds familiar, too. but. Uh...
1: So, our mission was to infiltrate the north. We were supposed to actually... And I don't know if it was a setup or whatnot, but we were supposed to actually fly to Turkey and then cross the border in our Humvees. But like a day before we were supposed to fly to Turkey, they barred us from doing it. So we just said, screw it, we're just going to jump in.
0: So you jumped in and you were in the northern part of Iraq. Northern part of Iraq. So you guys got to have the fun. So that was the part where they were actually looking for Saddam. Am I I right?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. We were, I think, when they finally captured Saddam, I think he was like 50 miles south of us, and we were on our way down there. We were supposed to, we kind of done a search in the area we're at. We headed back to our fob and resupplied, and like the next day or two, we were supposed to head down to where they actually found him. They just found him a couple days too early.
0: So this is a part I wanna know about because I wasn't there for it, but I got reports of it after afterward and I'm trying to get an interview, I'm trying to get a hold of him, Lieutenant Scotty, and he was with the forward of the Marines with recon and the forward, and the forward is the part of the artillery that actually would radio back the coordinates to us. But we he showed us pictures and we got intel of the army being up there in Saddam's palaces. And we, we heard a bunch of crazy stories about how they found gold and jewels and you know like golden shitters and stuff so I did yeah. I heard that secondhand could you tell me about that because we missed the party because we were down south still we didn't go north about
1: oh, I mean, we had uh, we actually stopped a truck in uh Kirkuk and it was loaded. You could tell it was a there always had these construction trucks going through these big semis that were carrying dirt. Well, we we were just watching, you know, watching the populace and stuff like that, and we had actually seen one that was squatted down lower than all the other trucks. We pulled it over, and it had dirt in it, but underneath just a thin layer of dirt, it was loaded with 75-pound gold bullion wow. that they were trying to sneak across the border. So, yeah, I mean... And the yeah, other were golden toilets and man, all kinds of good stuff.
0: I don't know if I can properly describe this to people, but all the Marines had some kind of sick fantasy about taking a crap in one of um, Saddam Hussein's <laughs> toilets. So I know you guys did that if you were in there. And uh, I thought of go if, ahead.
1: If, if Amanda, if Amanda, or, or Amber Heard would have been popular back then, I would have liked to have taken a shit in Saddam's bed.
0: Now that would have been something too, and taking a picture, a selfie of it, and yeah. save it for your grandkids. Say I did this. Yeah, this is some. <laughs> this is really something that people would do uh, back then. But um, it, for those of you that don't know, there's no toilets in Iraq. They they have like porcelain holes in the floor. They also don't use toilet paper, yeah. so
1: that's yeah, that. that's why we called it left hand bread.
0: Oh lordy. <laughs> so for anybody to even have a toilet in there or even have plumbing that worked like that really would have been something else, much less having a golden toilet. So the golden toilets were true. Wow.
1: Well, and I mean, we also, I mean, I've confiscated at one time I had in my possession, a nickel plated and a gold gold plated AK 47. Wow. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to bring it back.
0: That's one of the things I think I had to do, too. You know, a lot of it I forgot. But uh, the Marines would keep souvenirs. They had AK-47s, you know, from Russia. And they had pistols. I might even saw nickel playing. I'm like, where the hell did they get these? Because we didn't go to uh, anything other than the outskirts. But uh, they had them, and I had to be there in case one of them got, went off and hurt somebody. But, man, they before we entered – before we entered the ship to go back, man, there's a lot of different stuff we came up with, you know? Hell yeah. And I, I'm still think that there's people that got away with some stuff. I have no idea.
1: Yeah, it would have been nice. I never got anything back.
0: I took a, there is one thing I got back, but I don't have it anymore. It doesn't matter anyway. It was, a. It was an Iraqi flag that we took off the chemical manufacturing facility that the UN reported that Iraq didn't have. Oh, yeah. I took the flag from that and just let everybody know, not that anybody gives a crap anymore. It did exist. We went there, and all the equipment in there was made in the USA. So, yeah, we sold that to them. We knew they had the chemical weapons because they bought them from us which really befuddled us at the time because George Bush was saying that it was there and then it was reported, Oh no, no, it's not there. So for him to, the government to go on like that and make him look like a jackass, that was interesting, but but they were really there. Oh yeah. Now whether yeah, you, yeah, we see-
1: actually captured, we actually, ca- actually captured uh chemical Ali there in Kirkuk. Who's that? It was one of, if you remember back, I don't know if you do remember, they had a deck of cards, and I don't remember where he fell on the deck of cards, but, you know, Saddam obviously was Ace of Spades. But all his little minions that were under him, Kim Ali was one of them, and we captured him. No, do you remember the deck of cards?
0: No, I don't know if we were ever told that about that. But what you were doing, you would have had probably higher uh, clearance than me.
1: Okay. I I thought that was just general knowledge.
0: No, I don't think so. I think that's because you guys were doing the capturing of the different people. We were the ones that were making them scramble towards you. Okay, I got you. Yeah, so I wouldn't have known that. But I do know, so there's things I don't know and I can ask you about and I know that you should, you might know the answer to it. Um, I know that we got some intelligence at the time that there was some, the, I think it was near a, what do they call it, a cemetery. And there was Iraqis that were, you know, translators that were reporting to us that the people were scared because they said they heard people talking underground next to the cemetery. So we sent recon over there. And what they found is there were these underground escape tunnels in the cemetery. And uh, I think they wound up catching people there. Did you hear anything about that?
1: You know, I mean, in the town that we were, that big city, Kirkuk, where we were in, we had kind of a similar report.
0: It might have been Kirkuk, actually. So did you guys actually we see the underground tunnels or anything?
1: I, I didn't personally. We we If we seen something like that, we would report to a bigger, you know, like a battalion, and the battalion would go check it out.
0: I know they did eventually find uh, Saddam Hussein in a hole underground. Not a fancy hole either.
1: No. They look like shit.
0: Did you get to see it?
1: No, I did not actually get to see it. Actually, my wife's friend at the Fort's ID down at Fort Hood, Texas, they're the ones that actually captured him.
0: Okay. So did you see pictures?
1: Oh, I know. I mean, I've seen just pictures, whatever. What everybody else, everybody else had seen. Yeah, they put put whatever people put on the Internet. That's, that's what I'd pretty much seen. I didn't see anything other
0: than that. So uh, when we went there, we were there for the, the shock and awe, and um, that was basically it. I think we were home by the 4th of July. How much later did you guys stay there? Because I know we turned it over to the Army and actually, it was a forward, the Army forward. So it was the actual the reserves there. Yeah. And they came there. There were some of those reservist guys who were just getting there and they brought cartons and cartons of cigarettes, right? Because they thought, oh, I'm going to sell yeah. these cigarettes. And it was funny because we found out what we all, everybody smokes during a war, by the way. So one of those Army <laughs> reservist medics was there. And I'm like, hey, how much is that? And I can't remember what it was. It was high at the time, like 100 or something. And we're like, okay, I'll take it you know, here's a couple hundred dollars for a couple of cartons. What he didn't realize is he was grossly undercharging because he wound up selling out all the cigarettes and he had no more and he was going to be over there for six months with no kind of cigarettes. Oh yeah. (laughs) So we thought that was,
1: yeah, that's, that's what I got in the care package from my mom. Every, every week or two, I'd have my mom send me a log of Copenhagen snuff
0: now, with the Marines, with they, some wouldn't, cherry,
1: cherry Twizzlers.
0: they wouldn't let us, they wouldn't let them, their care packages have any tobacco in it, which we thought was gross and disgusting, that they're going to send us over there and then keep our cigarettes away. So oh, yeah. We had to smoke the Iraqi cigarettes that were, you know, lung destroyers.
1: Plastic <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the, I got that once a week.
0: Man, I'm jealous. So. <laughs> We we left by by the fourth of July, I think, maybe June thirtieth or something. Uh, when did you leave?
1: I did not leave until February, April, or February, or March of the next year. I stayed a We were. That's what was I. We thought was pretty a sick, twisted joke, is we were told we were there just simply to capture. We had three objectives when we jumped in. We had to capture Bashir, which that's the airfield we landed in. Turn it into an airport to where we could fly in supplies, which we did. We we're supposed to go to Erbil and do the same thing with our Air Force base there. And Kirkuk, we pretty much turned it into, it was a big Air Force base, and we pretty much turned it into a like an international airport. And those were our three objectives. And we were supposed to be out by July, and we ended up staying a year.
0: Wow, yeah, we yeah. didn't stay very long at all. I thought we were going to stay longer, but I knew we were turning over the army and to do the the building and the police work, which turns out was a, more deadly than the war, if you ask me, for the American forces. Oh yeah, they practically just. Turned their country over and handed over the keys.
1: Yeah, we were fighting all kinds of. It wasn't just Iraqis that we were. It was Syrians and Iranians
0: and. Really?
1: Whoever wanted to come shoot Americans, it was like a free for all.
0: Were they getting paid for it or were they just. I don't know. We didn't
1: didn't ask them. We didn't ask them. We just found, you know.
0: By the time you could ask them, it was too late. Yeah. So are there any particular stories that you'd like to tell us? I know you have to have some.
1: Oh, uh, I mean, I could tell you probably my most famous story. That,
0: that sounds like a good place to start.
1: Uh, it was on my birthday. I'd had the flu for like three days. Oh, God. And uh, the flu over there really sucks.
0: Yeah. There was the stomach flu is going around. We call El nazaria El Diarrhea. <laughs> that was right right before you get to Iraq and southern Iraq, right before you get to um, what do you call it, Baghdad? I mean,
1: yeah. So we go. So we're going, and uh, they come up with, oh, we, you know, it's been quiet. So we're going to go do a live fire exercise to uh, kind of show off for the battalion commander. So we got in this field, nobody around, out in the middle of nowhere, and we start doing this live fire exercises, and again, I got the flu. So I'm trying to put out the best I could, and ended up kind of impressing myself as sick as I was, how, how well I did. And after it's all said and done, we reload our weapons, and the battalion commander gives us a good hurrah speech and how impressed he was with us and him and his convoy take off. So we're sitting there kind of shooting the shit, smoking our cigarettes, kind of patting each other on the back, how good we did. And we hear this uh, machine gun fire and explosions going off in the direction they had drove off in. So we jumped in our fields. And uh, so I jump in with the medic because he's behind self And we take off, chase him down. And no shit. You know, the battalion commander, they had been hit with an RPG. And the battalion commander was, had been shot. And they were taking like heavy fire, RPG fire. So they all pull off the road, come up with the battle plan. And the the medic is scared. He didn't want to do it. He's like, I'll just go in on foot. So, like, dude, we got to get this ambulance up there. He's been shot. I say, like, if you don't want to do it, get out of the car and walk, and I'll do it. So I take off with the field ambulance across the, across the stretch of highway, looking out the window, bullets bullets ricocheting off the hood, RPGs flying over the hood. I'm returning fire out of both windows because I'm by myself now. And I park up a blocking position right there by the battalion commander, so they... The worst they could do is hit it with an RPG. They couldn't shoot him anymore. Because the, the the bullets were blocked by Humvees on both sides. And I jump out full Rambo, basically. I have an M sixty and I'm just laying down fire. And that that's you know, that's the day we say the battalion commander.
0: I think you told me that's I think it, I've bo- heard that story before. Is is that when you were injured? No, no. I got injured. I can't even remember what day that was.
1: I got injured on October 27th. It was months after that. Okay. That's when my, my actual uh, spotter got hurt. That's where he took all the shrapnel. That was a different story. That was our first roadside bomb, October 27th.
0: Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah. yeah, We were just coming back in from a mission, back to the FOB to resupply, going down the main highway and kind of going through a town, kind of like Washburn before you get in Amarillo. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got like a little town, and then you got a little bit of break, and then you're in the city.
0: And what does FOB stand for, For, Forward Observe? forward,
1: Forward Operating Base. Okay. And so we're going back to resupply, get some hot food, because we hadn't had hot food in like a week, two weeks. And, you know, we're just driving down the road, and all of a sudden we pass by this pile of trash, and it, it, there's like an explosion. I got my arm hooked into the side of that Humvee with the other arm. I had my M4. Oh, man. And had two. the two sergeants were in the back. So you, took shrapnel. so you said you had the go M4. Ahead.
0: Were you on the top, like on the gunner's position?
1: No, we were just sitting. It was like sitting in the back of a pickup truck, okay. you know, just one of them Humvees. Okay. We ahead. didn't have a gun gun truck. It was just a kind of like a kind of just cruising. The, we weren't expecting to catch any fire.
0: No. Well, this is, that's like a forward bed truck. I mean, an open bed truck, right?
1: Yeah. 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 We are sitting in an open bed truck. Jesus.
0: I wasn't one of those. The
1: explosion goes off. The explosion goes off. I seen all. I seen was a flash, a light, and then I kind of like stunned me, I guess, because I don't remember a whole lot what happened. Well, kind of when I come back to uh, Huskins, which is uh, Sergeant Huskins, my, my one of my best friends, even to this day, uh, got me. He actually got me the job with. He's the one that suggested I go work for mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I hear him screaming on the ground. We're putting putting pressure on his wound so he don't bleed bleed out. And we actually loaded him up in the other Humvee that we had with us and got, got back to base. But in all, in all the adrenaline, I didn't realize I'd hurt myself. And somebody had said something to me. He's like, dude, your left shoulder is like hanging lower than your right shoulder. What the hell? I'd actually dislocated my shoulder and didn't even realize it. Popped it back in place by slamming it into the side of the Humvee and then went and got medical attention. There wasn't nothing really they could do for me. I had surgery I think like a year and a half later to fix it because it was worse off than I thought it was.
0: Often popping it back in place hurts more than having it out of place.
1: Yeah, it hurt. Good thing I had beer later to offset the pain. You still do. I know. Did you get uh, enjoying the cold <laughs> enjoying a cold 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 lone star right now.
0: Damn right. I was originally gonna do this interview on Memorial Day, but I decided to wait a little bit. I had a lot of stuff going on Memorial Day, and I'm sure you did too. Oh yeah. I was in a pool. In a pool with a beer drinking
1: beer that day.
0: Yeah, you so you, you were busy. So you have lifelong lifelong wounds to re- remind you of your, your service. Man, did you get oh, a Purple yeah. Heart for that?
1: I did get a Purple Heart for that.
0: Cool. Man. That stopped. So that basically ended your career.
1: Yeah, I mean, without—I mean—at that time, I didn't realize it was going to end my career. But when I got back, I started because I was supposed to go for SF selection. I was planning on going to SF selection before they decided we were going to
0: go to Iraq. So what is that? I put it off What's SF selection. I don't even know. That's a special forces. Special forces, okay. Yeah.
1: So I put that off in order to. In order to uh, go to Iraq, jump in Iraq, I was like, I'd go to SF Selection anytime. And I was training when I got back to was training to get back in shape because you, when you're in a, when you're in Iraq for a year, we're not doing we're doing bare minimum push-ups and running a little bit. But I wasn't in the shape I was in when I left, so I'm trying to get myself back in shape to in order to be successful and not fail selection and I realized and I'm having trouble doing pushups I can't do pull-ups I can't pull myself up anymore and that's when I went and sought, sought out medical help and they did MRI I tore my rotator cuff <laughs> done a whole bunch of crap to my shoulder that wasn't just a simple dislocation I tore a bunch of stuff on the inside and yeah that The Army wanted me to sit behind a desk, and I'm like, nah, I'm not sitting behind a desk.
0: I hurt my shoulder when I was doing the training, the same one where I hurt my nards. When I was doing the training, they had some part of it where it was um, just simple tug-of-war, but what it did is it took my left shoulder and, and popped my my arm out of place real quick. It was just an in and out. Boom, boom. And what it did is it or what it does now, it'll take the tendon right now, the tendon that holds your ball socket into the joint. Yeah. And sometimes it'll get inflamed a little bit and it'll make my arm just pop out of place. Just as whenever that gets starts hurting just randomly, it'll make it just start falling out. And, so I didn't tear anything. It just, I don't know what the hell you'd call it. So I i can't do pull-ups and, well, I can do push-ups and everything, but not pull-ups. I can't do that, which is a big part of the Special Forces. Oh, yeah. In the Navy, they, you know, you have to be able to do so many pull-ups for the Special Forces because of the the way you get on and off of boats you and ships. You have to, you know do a pull up and roll yourself over under the boat I can't do not one of them. So, and then there's yeah, the other way in terror. Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
1: We, uh, yeah, we, we, we gotta be able to climb building. I mean, we climbed I don't know how many buildings while we we're in Iraq. So, I mean, that's all part of it. You're going to be in a special unit. You gotta be able to do all kinds of special things. So, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that pretty much ended my dream of being SF. And instead of sitting by a desk, I decided I'll just get out.
0: Somebody asked me a and couple it, years ago, they they said, do you think you could do the stuff you did in the military now? And I thought, I said, oh, yeah, 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 sure I could. And then after he walked away, I started thinking about it. And I thought, man, there's no way in hell. <laughs> I might not want to I didn't want to admit it at first because I didn't think about it. I'm like, no, man, there's no way. I I just can't do it. I mean, and that's not even about being in shape. If I was still in the same shape, I couldn't do it. Like now, there's physical limitations when you get older. So that's another topic I wanted to hit on real quick before I let you go, is how has your transition after the war, after the Army been for you?
1: Uh, I, still fight, I still seek to get the same adrenaline rush. You seek. No, I've told you.
0: You seek the oh, yeah. same adrenaline rush. Okay.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. Okay. I, I do. I still do crazy shit just to try and get that same rush. Because I mean, have you seen the movie Hurt Locker? No. That that's like a. You need to watch that. That's a real good kind of description of what you know, like war vets go through. Like they seek that that feeling that adrenaline rush. So, I mean, I get my adrenaline rush on my Yamaha motorcycle or that Yamaha dirt bike. One of the hard parts, parts for me, on
0: and I know it probably have, would have affected you too, is once you leave the military, all the qualifications and the certain skills you had that were military skills are stripped away. So it's not like you can be a sniper now very easy. You know, it, everything that you were, you know, was taken away. Yeah. Yeah you're like, "Well, hell. Yeah. What do I do now?" Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's it was hard trying to find a job when I first got out cuz it's like, know, this is what I'm good at." There's no there's no jobs out here that require a sniper or somebody who can make or disassemble bombs. I mean, I guess I could have been a police officer, but
0: it's not the same. It wouldn't be the same. It's
1: not yet. It it wouldn't be the same.
0: And almost dangerous because it almost is an adrenaline thing, you know. You know, who's going to help somebody that had their hand blown off or, you know. It's like, you can't do that. And the military made some kind of deal with the civilian sector to not let your your, um, qualifications transfer over, even though they're the same. So, I mean, not like being a sniper for the for the LA oh, yeah. SWAT but I mean and then you get a job afterwards and man it's like boring isn't it it's took a technical world into black and white and then you have people talking to you like you're a jackass <laughs> yeah
1: yeah I understand that but
0: So uh what other issues have you had with transition? A lot of people start drinking.
1: Yeah, I I drank a lot in the army though.
0: Yeah, you never stopped, so you're fine. I just <laughs> Yeah.
1: I never really stopped that. I mean I kept kept that up. I don't drink as much as I used to, so
0: any other issues with transitions?
1: No, not really. I mean, the nightmares, I mean, they come and go.
0: You ever had flashbacks? A lot, yeah. You had a lot? Okay. Flashbacks, for those of you that don't know, man, they're weird. I had one one time. I was playing a damn video game, and it was a crappy video game. Out there. It, was, it was a Nintendo game. Uh, I think it was Castlevania, and there's a part of it where it has this little pixelated sprite character. This is my first flashback I had. And this is about ten years after the war, and the sprite character is in front of a gate, and a gate opens up, and in my mind, a flashback is like it's almost like a hallucination, you know, unbeknownst to your mind. This isn't something you're thinking of; it just pops in right there, you know, as something you experience, and it flashed back to this one part when I was in Iraq and we were guarding the Iraqi, the Baghdad power company from looters so they could get their power back after we left. So uh, we were right there, and I was in front of a gate, and there's this, you know, uh, Iraqi woman that was there, and she was looking through the, the gate, through the big, we're talking about a wrought iron gate, and it just jumped in my f- right in my face, that picture in living color. Is it the same way with you?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like you're, uh, I mean, one of my most probably, I'd say my most vivid flashback I had was pretty much like right when I got out of the Army. I'd gotten up for 6 o'clock formation and went back to the hotel, and all I had to do was make it through the day, sign out at midnight, and I was out of the military. Mm -hmm. So I was so excited I couldn't go to sleep. So I stayed up all day long, and then we drove from... Uh, Fort Drum, New York, all the way to Oklahoma City without without going to sleep. That's a 24-hour drive. Mm-hmm. And I would stop off the road, buy cigarettes and coffee. And by the time we got back, or got almost to Oklahoma City, I I woke up my wife, because I kept seeing, uh, like, trenches on the side of the road with Iraqis sitting up because it got, like, like, they're going to ambush us, like, ambush positions. Mm-hmm. And my wife's like, there's nothing out there. You're seeing shit. You're hallucinating. But I just remembered, like, being like we were driving, driving through this highway, and we were getting ready to get ambushed.
0: There
1: was this... Um, it was-
0: you never know when it's going to happen now. So, that, that I can understand that. That was right when you got out and you were driving for 24 hours, which would have made your mind tired. Have you ever had any hallucinations after that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've woke up in the middle of the night. My wife catch me like, because I used to sleep before I had my kid, I would sleep with a pistol underneath my pillow.
0: Oh, good lordy.
1: And there's a couple times where my mom wife would catch me like army crawling on the, on her living room floor or some shit, with a pistol in my hand. Like I was trying to sneak up behind somebody and get them. Mm-hmm. Two times I rolled over and got on top of her because I thought she was trying to attack me.
0: Wow. but There was one time when I was in Iraq and I was a, I was a corpsman or a, what the army would call a field medic. So I didn't have a rifle, I just had a 9mm pistol by my side, loaded and ready to go at all times. And I had a nightmare in Iraq and I woke up and my pistol was in my hand, you know, pulled out, you know, and I was pointing it and it was actually pointed towards the the battery captains and the staff sergeant, or the first sergeant's uh, Humvee, so... You know, in my sleep, I had it. I was pointing towards them. My finger on the trigger. The only thing that saved anybody was the safety was on. So that freaked me out. I make sure I don't have any. Even to this day, I don't. I can't sleep with a gun. Let's put it that way. So when we were guarding the Iraqi power plant, the Iraqis they were around all the fences and gates. You know that we were thronged on all sides. But these were pro-american iraqis they thought we were going to bring their uh, their country prosperity and jobs and everything like that and i had blonde hair and they'd never seen that before so to me i was a rock star so <laughs> that's what it was like so they were thronging all the gates and all the fences just to get a look at us they weren't there was very rare there's just one person that was shouting you know mean things and you know at the gate one time and the other iraqis took them away but um i remember well, what they were doing is they would keep bringing sick people to me, you know, because they got wind that I was the medical there and they hadn't had any medical in a while. So it was kind of a surreal moment because they're dressed like something from the biblical era and they they keep bringing sick people to me. There's there's this one state stock, a soccer star who found a weapon. Uh, this is at the beginning of the war. He found like a... A K forty seven or something out in the field and accidentally shot himself in the the calf muscle. So oh boy. yeah. Him and his friends were playing with it and he shot himself just right through there in the calf muscle, so I had to help him with that and I knew he wasn't you know, he really was an, an Iraqi <laughs> he was like one of their top soccer stars. You know, first you're like, Oh, this is a bullshit story. This guy is he was probably in the in the war You know, but now he showed me pictures of him and top Iraqi officials, you know, and his trophies at soccer events. I'm like, well, shit, this guy's legitimate. But uh, so I helped him. And then there was, you know, this lady who was telling me about herself and I had a translator. I had the engineer there for the power company. So those people, the engineers and upper uh, educated Iraqi people trained in American schools so he could speak English. So he would translate for me when I was dealing with these sick people. There was this one lady, and she was on the street, and she had two kids, and some man said something to her, and she talked back. And because of the way the law is there, a woman's not allowed to talk back to a man, so he took a knife and slit her throat. And she showed me that wound. Of course, that wound, it was already healed up, and it was a scar. She was just telling me the story. And she was, I think she was telling me, you know, her medical problems and what she's had going on now. And I think she had uh, something called polycystic fibrosis at the time, but I couldn't help her with that. I, all I could give her was Motrin, which is all I could yeah. do from most of these people. This one guy was bit by chiggers and had a really bad infection on his leg that became decubitus, meaning it was a a big abscess in his leg, you know, filled with all kind of rotten flesh, and I had to clean that out and repack it and give him Motrin. So this keep they kept bringing me all these sick people, I mean, and they were, like, lowering them over the gates and the fences or stuff. I'm like, man, this is this is a surreal moment. And it, my mind flashed back to something, a story I read in the Bible about, and I'm not comparing myself to Jesus at all, but this is, this is something that reminded me of at the time, how he was at this one person's house one time, and they kept bringing sick people in to see him like that. I'm like, man, yeah. because of the way they were dressed, I'm like, it made that story a little bit more real to me. But it was right on that same day, right after I helped that guy with the hole in his leg, not the bullet wound, but the guy that got bit by a chigger and it infected his leg. After I helped him, somebody threw a dirt clod and it hit me right in the helmet, you know. And at first I thought I was shot. I thought I just got sniped. And then I realized it was just a dirt clod. I'm like, oh God, you know, just that fast you could have been dead. Just just like that, it would have been that easy. Boom, and that's it. Um, right after I got back, right when I got back, I think I was there for two weeks, and then the Marines were doing some training in the Yuma, Arizona, where the 29 Palms is. They were doing, they called it CACS, combined, our, um, it's a combined movement. I think the Air Force is involved, and maybe some of the Army, too. So joint maneuvers where they train in the desert so I was there for two weeks I, I, I didn't do that they had me stay back and run the run the uh, the uh, sick call run the BAS battalion aid station there by myself and then when they got back I just got orders my battalion got orders to go to, to Afghanistan. So after everything, I went in Iraq, I went through in Iraq. I was just now up for orders, and I was going back within the same month, going back to, to uh, Afghanistan. Like, good God, I was lucky to get out the first time alive, you know, and they want to send me back. So I'm like, I think it's time for me to be a civilian.
1: Yeah, I come up on orders. I think, like I said, I got back in March, or I got back in February, April. And then I got orders to go to Drum when I got back, and I ended up in Drum in like May or June. And as soon as I got there, they were wanting me to go back to Iraq. And I was like, I'm not a problem with it, you know. And then I've had some health issues, and that delayed me going. And then by the time I kept working out, trying to figure out what was wrong with my shoulder they finally sent me to the doctor and that's when they found out my shoulder was messed up because I was supposed to go in January or December. They, when they delayed me the first time in June, it was supposed to be December that I'd go, but they actually had me scheduled to do a shoulder, shoulder reconstruction surgery. I had that done in uh, January. And then pretty much after I did that, there's, I had to reclassify to a, a pencil pusher or get out of the
0: army.
1: You got to realize chose.
0: too, everybody listening, they got to realize too, yeah. that the jobs we have weren't regular jobs. My job was, you know, he, he was talking about the story of him and the medic. Well, if I was this medic, I would have been driving. I wouldn't have jumped out. My job is to go into the fire, into the danger to get the hurt people. Instead of running away, we would have to go into the fire. Yeah. So, I mean, you keep going in. That's why in the Marines, and I don't know if they do that in the Army or not, I think they do, but they started in Vietnam. Any medic they had or corpsman, hospital corpsman that they had, they'd call them doc. You know, yeah,
1: Because we called,
0: we called all our medics doc. They call them docs, and the reason why they call them that is because you would go through so many of them. They're like the first ones to die because they would run into the danger and get hurt and or killed and have to get out, so they didn't even – take time to know their names because they wouldn't be there long but uh, also if they sometimes if they refuse to call you doc that was like the greatest insult that they could give you you know they didn't trust you you know so there's that I knew if I went back into the danger man there was a slim chance of me coming back that's how I felt about it anyway I want to thank you for talking with me today I really appreciate it.
1: No problem, sir. Thank you for having me on your show.
0: Hopefully your wife will get you some shynessy underdrawals for Father's Day. (laughs) I like Commando. Well, they they happen to have (laughs) one called Captain Commando.
1: Captain Commando, there you go.
0: Yeah, it's just like the regular pair, except it's missing a section in the middle. (laughs) All right, everybody, thank you for joining us today. We'll be back again. Until next time, God bless, stay safe, and I hope you're wearing some comfortable underdraws. I do want to say before I let you go, you can go to anchor.com slash rad. And you can subscribe there. If you're a paid subscriber, which you don't have to be to get this material, but if you are a paid member, you can get a lot of things exclusive, and you can get it 1st there at anchor.fm slash midnightrad.